Hey everyone, welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. Today we are talking about a movement to save Cantonese language programs near and far. And if you don't know, Cantonese is a variant of the Chinese language originating from the southern province of Guangdong and spoken by approximately 80 million people all over the world. And it's really all over the world. Since the Cantonese folks from Guangdong were uh, some of the most active migrants for the last, oh, almost 200 years, it's, of course, the dominant language in Hong Kong and Macau, and also very common in Southeast Asia and in cities like San Francisco and New York and Seattle and Honolulu, etc. But uh, t- today we're going to talk about programs and saving these different programs at different universities. And this is another Kimberly Sito production. She uh, helped me connect with folks. And so she's coming on to co-host again. So, hey, Kim, how's it going? Hello, hello. Always good to be here. I know. I like having you here. Uh, So thanks for introducing me to this mission to save Cantonese language programs. How did you get involved with uh, these, these folks? Yeah, for me, I think I actually initially heard about the program because it did get it like got pretty good coverage all around. And then I heard one of um, Jamie's open webinars with Zhang Lo Si and another professor, Tam. It's like, wow, okay, time for me to get involved, but I couldn't get involved at, at that time. And I probably, I think I joined about half a year later. I joined, I think, August of um, 2020 or something, um, or 2021. I, my, my years are all mixed up. <laughs> But for me, my background with Cantonese is I'm in ABC. My family is from Hong Kong. Uh, my grandparents on both sides are from Guangdong. Um, so um, it's definitely something that resonates with me. And for me, it's something that I regret not speaking when I was a kid because when my grandparents were alive, um, it was something that I didn't do with them. It is something I really regret. And now it's kind of me refining kind of my Cantonese identity through language. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah. All right. So you're going to help me introduce one of our guests. But let me start by introducing one of our two special guests today. Joining us from New Haven, Connecticut is Jamie Tam. Jamie is the president of Save Cantonese and is also an assistant professor at the Yale School of Public Health. Um, But as an undergrad, she was out here uh, down the road at Stanford. And about two years ago, Jamie was the lead organizer in launching a campaign to help us save the Cantonese program at Stanford when it was on the chopping block. So through her and the community's effort, Jamie was able to get some amazing results, which we'll talk about in a second. But first, let's say hi to Professor Jamie Tam. Thanks so much for coming on our show, Jamie. Hi, thank you for the warm welcome. I'm obsessed with the name of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really we, uh, brilliant. Very witty. It's just, you know, anything that we love that's Asian is our infatuation. So yeah, welcome. Thank you. So uh, how's it going on the East Coast? Are you are you laughing at us soft Californians when we cl- complain about a little bit of rain? Are, are you uh, judging us a little? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in San Diego for the holidays and I got to go to the beach, enjoy the sun. And it was just like glorious in Southern California. <laughs> Meanwhile, the brutal winter storm hit us um, out here in the Northeast. So I'm always jealous. Now, are you a native speaker? Like, do you did you learn Cantonese from your family or did you take some classes along the way? Yeah. So some background on me. I'm from the Bay Area. I was born and raised there. Um, Cantonese was actually my first language. Mm-hmm. But when I was in grade school, I be, like it was just hard on the playground right. not being able to speak English. And so I completely lost my Cantonese because I wanted to fit in and be able to, you know, speak English with the other kids. And I just sort of went through a, a lot of sort of internalized racist, you know, experience where you shut down your the culture that you're from and you refuse to use chopsticks. I was just, I was just an awful kid mm-hmm. uh, to my parents. And I it wasn't until later uh, when I was a teenager, when I really was like, I wish, you know, I'd gone to ch- Chinese school every Saturday, but it was always for Mandarin and no one in my family speaks Mandarin. And so, you know, Cantonese was the way for me to stay connected to my family and I couldn't speak it well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could barely, I could say like, Gong hei fa toy. <laughs> and like, uh, like I could give dim sum, like you can, I can order stuff in dim sum, like I can order stuff at a dim sum restaurant, but I couldn't really have conversations. So when I started um, college at Stanford and I realized that Stanford was one of the a small number of um, colleges and universities that offer Cantonese language programs, I enrolled and I ended up taking 
um, Cantonese classes from freshman through senior oh, year. Wow. I spent I spent a, a summer studying abroad in Hong Kong, and so Cantonese language classes really changed my life and helped me to reconnect with my heritage and who I am, and like repair a lot of the harm that I that both I and my fam- me and my family had to endure in a you know English dominant society. Yeah, yeah. So that's my background. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, I bet. There's a lot of folks out there that can relate to your story of just trying to shut down your roots just for the sake of assimilation, you know, trying not to stand right. out. You know, when you're a kid, you don't want to be the one that stands out. You just want to be the one that blends in. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk a lot more about that. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for your efforts as well. Thank you. Yes. And I wanted to introduce our next guest. Um, we have Julia, San Francisco native, Julia Kwan or Kwameyan is a health educator, community doula, and is the founder of Save Cantonese at CCSF. That's the City College of San Francisco, for those of you guys who don't know uh, the acronym. And Julia kind of came about because, um, unfortunately, the same thing happened at um, CCSF as it did in Stanford, where the language program was put onto the chopping board. Um, and she's been so involved these past two years in both um, St. Cantonese at Stanford as well as CCSF. And I'd like to welcome Julia. Yay, hey, Julia. <laughs> Hi, thank you for the warm welcome. Um, I just love hearing Jamie's story all over again. I've heard it a lot, but every time I hear it, it just it gives me chills because it's so relatable. What's what's your story like? How did you learn Cantonese? So um, my family is from Hong Kong, and they immigrated here into San Francisco in the early '80s, um, late '70s. And so um, my family has deep roots here in SF and in Hong Kong. I myself, uh, I spoke Cantonese as a kid. My grandparents didn't speak any English at all, but very similarly to Jamie. Um, I found assimilation not only a necessity, but I found it as something that I um, I think I wanted to do just to fit in. I went to a pretty, um, I went to a white high school and I remember, I cringe thinking about this now, but I remember thinking like, oh yeah, like my Chinese isn't that good, but that's okay because none of my friends speak Cantonese anyway, so it doesn't matter. And when I think back at the mentality I had back then, I I just like, I cringe. I feel like so much shame around Mm -hmm. that. Um, And it wasn't until I was in college and being in healthcare. Oh yeah. When working in healthcare in SF, uh, majority, majority of patients in who are Chinese and even Vietnamese too, um, in San Francisco speak Cantonese and just my limited Canto and not being able to speak with people fully. It really motivated me to go back to community college and take Cantonese language classes, not only to be able to speak to members of my family, but to make sure that people are receiving culturally competent and linguistically inclusive Mm -hmm. care. Yeah. No, super important. Yeah, for me, I I um I'm kind of one of those ABCs that was really ABC, and uh, my parents were born here as well. My dad was born in South Dakota, and he's the youngest of eight siblings. So his older sister was like twenty something years older than him. So they, you know, that this was way back. I'm way older than you guys. So this is ba- way back in the 30s and 40s. So you know, you definitely didn't want to stand out back then. So he only knows English. I don't think he even knows very much Chinese at all. Now, my mom grew up in Chinatown, so she grew up speaking it. And she tried with us a little bit, but yeah, uh, we only knew a couple words. But uh, yeah, so I actually went to UC Davis and they had a Cantonese program. It was actually part of their Asian American Studies department. It wasn't part of the linguistics department. I don't think they have it anymore. I think the professor I had passed away actually while I was still there. And I don't think they replaced him. So it's kind of a one of those stories that almost happened at Stanford, right? Where the professor was retiring and then they said, well, when they're when you're done, we're just not going to renew it. Although what happened at Stanford was, was I think that's a really tragic story. And I guess I want to, st- like, I guess one thing I'm, I'm noticing is like we talk about these tragedies as if they're isolated incidents, like where a language program just disappears, Right. But it, this is a thing that happens quietly behind the scenes all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they're just like a, an instructor retires, instructor dies, instructor leaves. And they're just like, 
well, it's not worth funding anyways. Mm -hmm. And then the program is gone, you know, and I think it's really, um, you know, like what you, the example you just shared of UC Davis, I know UC Davis used to offer Mm -hmm. it, right. Mm -hmm. There used to be more, like more places that offered Cantonese language classes. And what happened at Stanford was with COVID-19, they they were making all these budget cuts and they decided to cut the Cantonese program. And, um, and of course they weren't, ready they weren't willing to admit that that's what they were doing instead they just didn't renew the contract of the only cantonese instructor on campus and so when you don't renew the contract of the sole cantonese instructor on campus that means the program's the dead program's dead yeah right so um when that happened we it was kind of a call to action where a lot of um alumni like, like myself you know during low c my cantonese teacher she's I, I view her like another mom, mm. you know, she really helped me come into my, into my identity in, in undergrad and, you know, like fighting for a kind of justice for her and a justice for Cantonese language teachers everywhere that they should be treated with respect. They should be paid fairly, you know, and they're the shepherds of our, of our culture. You know, that's how we can like reconnect with where we came from, um, through language. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's what happened at Stanford, and I think it it breaks my heart a little bit to hear that about UC Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like is wonderful to me that it was part of an Asian American Studies department as opposed to like a language center. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was influ- like um, which one of you said that? Kimberly said that, or oh, it was Jamie. Uh, Jamie said that the Cantonese program really um, reattached you to your roots and really built uh, a foundation for me it was kind of similar i didn't even know my chinese name until until that class and you know there the professor was like what's your name in chinese I, I didn't know so i had to go ask my grandfather who was still alive at the time i had to find out what my chinese name was and yeah it was just really it was a little bit of a culture shock because you know as you guys know a lot of people take the class who already know how to speak cantonese and so i walked in there and everyone was speaking cantonese already and i was like wait is this the beginning class you know um and they're like yeah you're in the right place but it was it was really a connection you know for me and really to i i didn't you know honestly when i grew up i didn't know there were different kinds of chinese because in san francisco it was just cantonese for me and then, you know, I found out there's Cantonese, there's manners, Hakka, you know, there's all these different kinds of, of, of Chinese. And it was just really like, it was because, because it was part of the Asian American studies program, there was history involved. There was culture. It was really, it was really great. Um, so Julia, you took classes as well at City College? Yes. So what kind of got me started in healthcare is related a little bit to Save Cantonese. And so when I was younger, I witnessed um, a doctor yelling at my grandparents who didn't speak English, screaming at them, thinking like, oh, um, if I speak louder, if I yell louder in English, like this older man will be able to understand. And I think seeing someone that I admired being like incredibly degraded by someone in healthcare was devastating for me. Um, And to me, I was like, you know what, like I'm going to go into healthcare and I'm going to make sure that that never happens to anyone's grandparents. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. I get so emotional when I speak about it because I think like in healthcare, um, like I see it all the time. Like I just started um, my, my nursing career and I see I see specifically like Chinese grandparents continually neglected in healthcare because of language barriers, because they don't speak English, because they don't understand how insurance works, because no no social worker comes to speak to them in their language. Or um, for example, one of the language access laws in San Francisco um, has demonstrated that Cantonese speakers are more likely to call in for services, but only one out of 10 of those services can be fulfilled because there's such a lack of Cantonese speakers. And so when when starting this movement, sorry, I, should, I get super emotional talking about. <laughs> Don't apologize and, for being um, emotional. That's okay. <laughs> so, I saw really um, save Cantonese not only as like something to preserve language, but also making sure that people are able to live and are able to receive services in a language that they understand. When. That's how that I think that's why like I you know I love the Save Cantonese movement so much, um, and that's why um, I see it like very related to my career in healthcare. But 
Okay, I'm trying to remember what the original <laughs> question was. Oh, yeah. So um, I was taking classes at CCSF and uh, I was in a Cantonese class when one of my friends asked, um, hey, professor, like what's going to, you know, are we going to take Cantonese 10C or 10D next semester? Um, and that's when she decided that uh, or not, she didn't decide, but the world language department decided without actually telling anybody. Um, so again, this kind of silent injustice that goes on when it comes to minority languages, that the classes were going to be indefinitely cut. And it it was really heartbreaking for all of us. Everyone in class started yelling. People were like, what? Like, why are these classes being canceled? And so what was going through my mind at this was, like, what about all the people who need Cantonese speakers, who need Cantonese social workers, who need Cantonese cops, firefighters, professors? Like, what about all of these folks who are really going to be left behind in yeah, the system? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was really what was going through my mind. I have to say, I'm really moved by what you just shared, Julia. And there's nothing, I think it's beautiful that you feel all the emotions that you feel because it's made you an incredible organizer. You know, the last two years, like, we've been working together. And this is the first I really hear you tell me the why. Mm. I think sometimes, you know, our, our Safe Cantonese movement, our organization, we have all these meetings, we're doing all this work all the time. But I think this podcast is a wonderful opportunity to kind of pause and like ask why, mm -hmm. you know, like, like what, what got you fired up about this and hearing you say that I'm like, it, it makes complete sense with what I know about mm -hmm. you and who you are. And also, it is um, important to remember. Um, otherwise, yeah. if you keep organizing without remembering the why, like or without sharing the why with other people, you know, how can you all stay motivated? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Mm -hmm. So, Jamie, why don't you walk us through your first thoughts when your was it your professor who reached out to you, or how did you hear about the cuts, and then what, what were the first steps that you took? Yeah, so it was all done again behind the scenes, you know. Zhang Lo Si, uh, we, we've stayed in touch over the years. So I graduated from Stanford in 2010. And um, I guess I should back up a little bit. The part of the reason why I knew I had to take Cantonese language classes. And so this is my why, right? Uh, right before I started freshman year, my grandfather died. And so my gong gong on my mother's side. And so I already lost both, both my yin yin and ye ye on my father's side, which meant that only my popo, my my maternal grandmother is my my only surviving grandparent. And this was freshman year of college. And I was like, I don't know, can we swear yeah, on the show? You can if you like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I'm just like, if I don't learn Cantonese yeah, now, yeah. if I can't figure out how to talk with my grandmother now, I'll lose my chance. And I remember freshman year when I was in a in a in the Cantonese class with another student. He told me that he he petitioned to make Cantonese fulfill the language requirement for just that year, but that his grandparents had died. Like it was too late mm -hmm. for him, you know, and thinking about, you know, I think that's the why for me, like families, being able to know your own family um, and to be able to speak with them in their own language instead of a language that is, you know, laced with trauma. You know, like right. if you if you have an argument with your parents in English. It must be really shitty to be the, to be the parents, right? Yeah. To have to argue with your kid in a language that is not your own. Um, and so when I when Zhang Losi reached out to me and having this sort of like my own emotional journey with Cantonese, and I realized that there would be future students who would be denied the opportunity to know themselves and denied the opportunity to know their own families, um, that really really fired me up. I just thought to myself like. Um, basically when I, when I was like, if Stanford is going to cut Cantonese classes, it was like, oh, it was going to be over my dead no. body. Like I was not going to let yeah. that happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we reached out to the university and the university didn't want to engage with us because, um, you know, cause we were, you know, we were asking a lot of difficult questions of like, why is this being cut? Why are other like, like, how was this decision made? Why was the community not consulted? Mm -hmm. And eventually, when they weren't willing to make, make a set up a meeting with us, I wrote a petition. And with that petition, I, I, I was like, I, 
if if my pen had been on fire, <laughs> like where I was typing and I my computer could have literally been on fire. I was so angry. Uh-huh. Um, just like righteous fury as I was working with fellow organizers and kind of finalizing this petition and then disseminating it and, and it's and it circulated like globally. You know, we got four thousand plus signatures, yeah. we got the attention of Celeste Ng and other prominent Ama- Asian Americans across the country. And um, and I think we called attention to it. Uh, and, you know, Stanford won't say that we save Cantonese, but they changed the decision <laughs> after yeah. after the petition went yeah. out. Right. They're not going to say, oh, the petition changed our decision, right. but but it, but something happened. Yeah. And so we were able to restore two of the classes. Originally, there were three in the past. There were four. And um, and since we've made sort of major gains with the campaign, um, you know, we've uh, we've been working to create essentially the first endowed Cantonese language program uh-huh. in the country. And w- and for folks who don't know what an endowment is, an endowment is when someone makes such a massive donation that the that it that um the initiative or the program lives only off the interest. So because of our campaign, we caught the attention of a Hong Konger and who is based in the US and um and he and his company decided to make a one million dollar gift. Oh, wow that would endow Cantonese language classes at Stanford. And so 5% of $1 million is enough to fund two Cantonese classes for all time, wow. you know, and that's what we want. We want long-term solutions, right. you know, for at Stanford, the, the long-term solution is an endowment and we're still uh, looking to raise another million and a half to fully endow the program. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're basically halfway there, but you know, what the work that Julie has been doing with the City College of San Francisco campaign is also about a long-term solution yeah. for Cantonese. And I'll, I'll let Julia say more on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when it comes to sustainability of the program, the problem with the Cantonese classes at CCSF was that they weren't associated with, number one, um, a a state-funded certificate. So every almost every single language at City College has some sort of language certificate, whether that's German, French, Mandarin, um, Italian, Spanish, all of these were associated with a certificate. Now with Cantonese, even though the language has been around for a really long time at the college, there was zero certificate. Um, similarly to Stanford too, when a teacher retired or when they passed away, it's very silently um, no other Cantonese professor was hired. So at one time, there were actually five Cantonese professors oh, wow. at City College versus now there's only one. And so there's this kind of like silent um, kind of, it. Uh, I don't know what the word would be, like silent. Uh, or something. Yeah, like silent takeaway mm-hmm. of the language that just is, it, it wasn't allowed to come back or um, the school didn't see it as something important enough. Yeah. Um, now with city college for us like you know we would love to take private funding but i think um because it's a uh, state and city funded college even when we offered to fundraise money for the classes um it wasn't accepted or it was so it's it's all up to the voters (laughs) but you but you were able to get the certificate Instated. So you yes. can get a Cantonese certificate now. Yes, you can get a Cantonese certificate. This is one of the first in um, the community yeah. college level. And this is really special too, because this was a very, very grassroots effort. Um, folks from all over the Chinese American community and also like non AAPI folks uh, came yeah. out to support us. So like the Black Student Union um, came out to support us. Folks from other ethnic studies department came out to our rallies. And so even people who didn't speak Cantonese, um, they n- understood and knew how important the language is to the Bay Area yeah, community. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I think the other thing that is like, I guess, what, like it, I think there's another sort of justice element here, which is that Cantonese people, people from Guangdong, built San Francisco. Absolutely, yeah. Like they built San Francisco, and who do you think built Stanford? <laughs> Stanford <laughs> yeah. got rich off of railroad workers from where yeah. Guangdong. So much right? irony. These are Cantonese. <laughs> yeah, can- Cantonese railroad workers built Stanford. They they are the reason why Stanford is so wealthy. And one big looming question for me is like, how much of Stanford's endowment is because of Cantonese people, right? Like, 
what was it that Cantonese people brought to the Bay Area, to California, to the American West, to the nation as a whole? And so I think to kind of um, not just devalue the language and the culture, but but devalue the labor, right? A lot of labor exploita- exploitation took place yeah. in the 1800s with all these like Cantonese migrants. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, like programs being cut, classes being cut, it also means moving full-time professors to part-time. Mm-hmm. And it also means moving part-time to hourly, right? right? These and. And so I think that's the other part of it that feels really insulting, um, that, you know, Cantonese labor is, again, being cheapened and devalued and exploited, when what we need to do is pay teachers fairly and fund these programs so that they can sustain themselves and so that they can thrive. Um, and so I think this is there's a lot of sort of like historical parallels between what we're trying to do now at the grassroots level and and also what we're trying to address in the past. Like all of it's connected. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and when you say built, you you mean literally they were carving the rocks, they were cutting the wood, they were stacking the bricks. They were literally the folks that that built not just Stanford's fortune, but his actual campus, like they're actually putting the campus to, with with cheap labor because yeah. they're the low bid, right? Exactly. Like the palm trees on Palm Drive, the famous palm trees that line Stanford campus, planted by Cantonese people, yeah. you yeah. know? So I think we have to kind of, and I think that's why for me, I felt that, um, you know, saving Cantonese was also about on some level, Stanford starting to acknowledge its debt. Yeah, to Cantonese at, at people. At the very least, <laughs> at least offer the language. Yeah, it's you know, it's yeah. I, th- I think I think if we if we if we want to talk about you know, I think I don't want to kind of appropriate the the conversation around reparations because it's very different for right, people right. who for who um, for people who are enslaved, right? And they're like who were not paid labor. I think Chinese people in the 19th century were extremely dirt cheap labor. But it was not the same, and they and they were like they largely migrated to the U.S. by choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there is this, this broader problem of like the of labor exploitation, um, and what do we owe people? Yeah. Um, and the generations that came before us, what do we owe you know families and that came before us and that are descendants of the railroad workers? Yeah, for sure. So so you guys got some huge gains, some huge victories. What what else is on on tap for you guys? You guys are still working. I still hear the energy in your voice. I still hear the passion, but what are some things that Save Cantonese is working on? So, we are uh, we are broadening our movement. We've we're not just thinking about Stanford or City College San Francisco. We're thinking about Cantonese programs everywhere. Um and this it's really an exciting time because we just launched the world map of Cantonese programs on our website. Very cool. Yeah. So if anyone wants to know where they can find a Cantonese language program, uh, you can go to savecantonese.org slash map. From, so from the, kindergarten like up. <laughs> yeah, K through 12, um, adult classes if you're not in a university or not if you're not a child. <laughs> um, and so what we're working on is building a database of every Cantonese program that exists. And part of the reason why I think building a database is so important is because, again, when these programs disappear, it's like no one's watching. Yeah. You know, no one's got their eyes on when a program disappears. And so by collecting this information and checking the sort of, is this program still active? Is it gone? Why is it gone? You know, I think by sort of gathering this information, we can start to to let people know, like if if your program, if you're thinking about cutting this program, someone is watching, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what it means to maintain a, a sort of movement and be kind of ready at a moment's notice when something goes down. So I think all of what we're trying to do is to mo- is to broaden our work and encompass Cantonese programs everywhere that are under threat. Yeah, yeah. Julia, what's going on at City College? You guys working on some more stuff? <laughs> okay, well, the fight for Cantonese at City College, it was a really uphill battle. Um Getting the certificates felt like a fight for our life. <laughs> um, late nights, um, the professor who uh, was teaching Cantonese um, wasn't able to get a lot of the resources that she needed to make these certificates. And so um, on our team, on our side, we were actually the ones writing uh the paperwork and trying to get push the paper through the bureaucracy to get these certificates mm-hmm. even started. 
Um, and so right now what we're working on is trying to make sure that these classes are transferable to the UC level. So right now, Cantonese classes at City College are transferable to the mm. CSU, so the Cal State system. So meaning like SF State, Cal State East Bay, but these classes can't transfer to UC Berkeley, UC Davis, UC San Diego. And so um, for a lot of community college students, um, one of their goals maybe could be going to technical school, but another one of their goals may be going to a UC. And so making sure that students who take these Cantonese classes either um, as a passion, either for trying to make sure that um, they can use Cantonese for healthcare or if they're teachers or any sort of social service, that these classes are just as valued as any of the other language classes. Um, and that they're able to transfer to a UC. And so that's really, really what we're working on um, right now. I, I'm just really glad that you guys are doing what you're doing and keeping these programs alive for the future generations of people who want to learn Cantonese. Um, Kim, you want to tell people where they can find out more about these programs as well as keeping up with what Save Cantonese is up to? So if you guys would like to learn more and keep up with Team Safe Cantonese and what we're doing, um, you can check us out at our website, which is safecantonese.org and follow us, up, follow us on Instagram, Safe Cantonese. And um, for City College, follow them at safecantonese underscore CCSF. Um, and feel free to check them out. Yeah, go see that. They have a bunch of different uh, headlines on their website. You can see... What did you call it, Jamie? The world map? Um, the world map of Cantonese programs. The world map. So, it's really cool. I was on there for a little while. I was like, they have that there? You know, like, you wouldn't know. Yeah. You wouldn't think, right? But the diaspora is wide, yeah. and there are Cantonese speakers all over this world. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have stories, too. But I, I love traveling and finding, like, a Chinese restaurant in Paris or a Chinese restaurant in the UK and hearing people speak Cantonese. It's just kind of a trip, but it's always fun. So, everyone, go follow uh, Save Cantonese. Either uh, Follow both, Save Cantonese underscore CCSF or Save Cantonese for Stanford and beyond. You want to transition now to talking a little Cantonese? Hola. Home hola. Now, I will apologize ahead of time. Um, when I speak Cantonese, people ask me to stop usually. But um, oh. <laughs> my tones. Oh, that happens all the to time. me too. I, I was ordering, yeah. And I, and I was ordering at Cheung Hing's. For any of the listeners who love roast duck, which I'm sure all the SF people who yep. live here, you know what I'm talking about, right? Noriega? Yeah, no, okay. I was like, and he's like, just speak English. I know. What? Happens to me all the time. Yeah. He's like, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, man. So, my, my, my wife's family is from Hong Kong. And so, when I first married into the family, there was these two kids. They're, they're in their 20s now, but they were like 10 years old. And I would show up and they would say, speak Chinese, speak Chinese. Like they were super excited. I was like, oh, you want to hear me speak Chinese? All right. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do this. So I would speak Chinese and then they just start cracking up because it was like entertainment oh. to him. But you know what? I love using it. I, I, you know what? My wife, when we're at a restaurant, she defers to me to order, even though she knows I'm not good. But she's more shy about her, her Cantonese than, than I am. I, I'm just, really? I'm willing to. I throw it out there. I'm willing to. <laughs> I'm willing to throw it out, but uh, yeah, she gets a little shy about it sometimes. Oh so. yeah, all all three of us have Hong Kong connections. I don't know, Kimberly, if you have a Hong Kong connection too. Yeah, I, I consider myself a Hong Konger actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Families from Hong Kong. Yeah. My yeah. roots are in Toisan, my uh, Toisan and Hoi Ping. So oh, Hoi um, Ping. That's a lot of us my, here. My I'm dad's side is Hoi Ping. Ping. Too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I see it in our last names. You know, anytime you see my last name or Kimberly's last name, it's, it's there's probably a village connection. There. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I love I love to gossip in Toisanese uh, or like 
to say insults like those toy signs <laughs> insults they really got it because you got to spit them out you know they kind of they come out a little wet when you when you're yelling yeah, the toy sign, yeah. Right? for those who don't yeah. know these are these are villages around Guangdong who have slight variants to uh to Cantonese they you could probably the most most toy sign people can understand Canto right yeah yeah Typically. I mean especially in the states yeah. yeah I mean a lot of the early migrants specifically spoke um, toy sanwa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's there's they're similar to it's similar to kind of like Cantonese that you would hear in Hong Kong, but it's also very very different. Yeah, um, like yeah. they're they're technically with linguistically under the same you sort of family tree for language family yeah, tree, yeah. but they're kind of like they are kind of parallel languages but different. Like my yeah um, my, yeah because in their purest form, um, they sound very different. Um, and yeah. you, you probably wouldn't be able to understand. I think I, I grew up as a kid kind of knowing kind of like a mix of everything. But as a kid, yeah. I always thought it was Cantonese, right? Because my parents are going to aren't going to tell me like, this is some dialect, right? It's just going to confuse me. And then as I grew older, I was like, wait a second. I'd be at a restaurant and I'd like, they speak Cantonese, right? And it, like some of these toy song words would come out and I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like, um, I know a few toy song phrases, like, you know, in Kanto, we say like, oh, ne sikjo fan mea, right? But in toy song, it's hek fan yeah. mea. And I'm like, oh, hek fan. Hek so. fan, yeah. <laughs> All right, love it. All right, you guys ready to take a little Cantonese quiz? Not on the language, this is more on culture. So I think this will be, this will be fun. Mm. All right. Everyone knows that the Cantonese language originated in the city of Guangzhou, which used to be called Canton by the Europeans and Americans. Do you know where the name Canton came from? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Gosh, All I right. always thought about Get, this question, but I don't know. It's, it's weird, right? Because it is like Guangzhou. How did that become? So it is from the Portuguese. In the 1500s, they took Guangdong and in their version of Guangdong became Canton or whatever in Portuguese. That makes so, a lot of sense, actually. Makes wow. more sense, that's, right? That's actually what Portuguese say in Portugal and even in like Brazil and like colonies, like their restaurants and stuff. So a lot of things I've noticed is like, it's like Canton something. Because um, I've been yeah. to Portugal and Brazil. I mean, it's quite yeah. interesting to see. So that makes a lot of sense. Wow. So, okay. so they thought the city was Guangdong, so they called it Canton or Guangdong or so, whatever they said. They got it wrong. Same with Macau. Do you guys know where Macau came from? The name Macau. No. So, when they landed in Macau, the Portuguese landed at this temple called the Temple of Ama, uh, and so they asked the sailors, "Hey, where are we?" You know, they just landed. They go, "Where are we?" And then the people at the temple said, so I, I don't know how to say it, but the temple of Mago and the Portuguese said, oh, we're in Macau. <laughs> so they started calling it Macau. I know, so super random, right? But wow. uh, the Portuguese, yeah. they have their way <laughs> of messing Who things knew? up. For, th for hundreds of years, they mess things up, but it sticks. Sometimes things stick. All right. I think you'll, I think you'll know this one. All right. So approximately 80 million people speak Cantonese around the world. Can you name, now this is according to this one, I think it's called Geeky Glot website. A according to Geeky Glot website, what are the top four Asian countries that speak Cantonese other than China and the top four uh, Western or European countries that speak Cantonese? Okay. So, so we know one for sure, right? Yeah. So you're, the, the top four countries w where Cantonese speakers are located, like the largest number- yeah, I think it's number. Yeah, I think it's number. Okay. And these are countries that are not China. Well, so, uh, so the first two are now part of China. <laughs> but they Hong didn't Kong? used to be. Yeah, Hong Kong number okay, one. Hong okay, Kong number I, one. I mean, I, I guess technically Hong Kong is like a special before Yeah, before movie. 1997. Yeah. Okay, okay. So <laughs> um, Singapore has a lot of Cantonese speakers. Um, I think that's like number five. So... So think Macau. Macau number two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I I they're both technically, you know, yeah. Okay. They're okay. SAR, yeah. <laughs> um someone mentioned it earlier. Is it top four Asian countries? Yeah, top four Asian and top four non-Asian countries. Okay. I feel like if not Singapore, Vietnam 
has yeah, a lot of cancer no, species. Vietnam, number three. And number four? Taiwan? I don't know. Mm-mm. Malaysia? Starts with them, yeah. Malaysia. Julia. I think the four top Asian countries, not not China. Well, again, before 1997, 1999. Hong Kong, Macau, Vietnam, Malaysia. Okay, so top four non-Asian countries that speak Cantonese. Australia. Make up. Uh, Australia, I think, was on the list, but it's a little further down. Oh, uh, the UK? Oh. The UK. UK, yeah. UK number two. Canada. Canada. Canada number three. Okay. Kim's on fire. Wait, hold on. So this one's hard. Canada. The four number four is a little Wait, tricky. What's the fourth? Canada, mm. US, UK, Portugal. Australia. Mm, no. It's one that France. I didn't think of. France. It is what? France. Yeah. Oh, they had a lot of I think they had a lot of dealings with Asia as well. Um but yeah, Cantonese speakers in France. I think and it's because I, I saw of that, like I, French Indochina, so like kind of like that Southeast Asia, um, oh, like colonialism, yeah. yeah, going on. Yeah, and then maybe just just people landing in the UK or, or something end up in France too. But yeah, so those are the four. Well, again, according to this one website, so I don't have any actual proof of those. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you did well though. You did real well. All right, now this one is kind of fun too. Nick, can you name two words other than food? So like lychee doesn't count. Can you name two words, not food, that English borrows from Cantonese? Chow fun. Not food. Chow. Chow. Oh, no. chow. Oh, hold on. You said no food. You said no food. No, no. Chow counts. Chow counts because when you say, oh, this is some good chow. Oh. Okay. Oh, know, versus chow mean. Or like puppy chow or whatever. You know, yeah. like this is good chow. That, come, that comes from the word chow, like from chow mein. Yeah. So, yeah, you got one. Okay. Right, can you think of another one? Another. So, it borrows from English. No, but English borrows from Canto. Wait, other way around. Bar- so, oh. so, so chow yeah, is an English word that we use to describe food, but it comes from Cantonese. Word that comes from Cantonese. <laughs> I mean, dim sum. Dim, dim sum. sum. Um, oh, it's still food. Thing. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. No, you know, but um, it's interesting when you're in Australia, they say yum cha, and I've heard people not. Cantonese say, oh, yeah, we're going to have some yum cha. Like if you, I watch YouTube <laughs> and they say yum cha. So I'll give you that one as well. There's one, it means, literally means to knock heads. Zong tao. Uh, yes. It's an English word. Knock heads. Oh. Kow tao. Oh. You know the, you know the term? You're like, the, you know the term? I'm not going to kowtow to you or I'm not going to kowtow to anyone. Yeah, that's Kanto, right? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's Wait, like bowing or whatever. Yeah, Kung Fu kung for fu. sure. Monsoon is another one. Um, means mun soy or full of water. And typhoon. Typhoon is Taiwanese wind. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so there's there's a bunch. And you know what? I I always thought ketchup, you know, kejap. I always because it makes sense, right? Tomato sauce or tomato gravy. <laughs> But it actually, I think that comes from Hakka. So that's actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's fun, Wait, right? Ketchup's yeah. from Hakka? That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. What? I, I want to do a whole episode on, on English words that come from Asian words. <laughs> but yeah, I always thought ketchup just makes sense, right? It's tomato gravy. That's just but, yeah. I never thought about, but now that you say it. I know, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, so let's get into a little Cantonese. Um, what are your favorite things to say in Cantonese? Now, should we give the warning? Are you going to say bad words, Julia? <laughs> okay. I talked to my friends about it and they're like, don't say that on the podcast. Like, that's so inappropriate. And I was like, okay, okay. I'll keep a PG. I'll keep a PG. We should have a, a special a bonus episode, which I'll put the explicit tag. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because, it, like, you know, I'm a San Francisco Chinatown kid. So, it's, like, cussing in Canto, that's gritty. just like every day. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Kidding. You gotta insult somebody. Then you gotta insult them, their ancestors, eight generations <laughs> back, and that's how you greet. That's how you're gonna greet your friend. Yeah. Um, all right. So, anybody have a slang term that you like to say? That's just fun to say. Yamogao Yamogao Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Or you got a problem, right? That's yeah. that's a fun one, and it's pretty clean, right? It's not that. Yeah, it's not that's bad, not. Really, that's yeah. not bad. That's clean. That's clean. That's clean. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I was gonna say like, oh, and they mong ta ta. Like, are you fuzzy? Like, come on. <laughs> what does that mean, though? What does that liter- figuratively like, mean? I I think it means like, oh, you're not like, like, like hey, you don't get it. Yeah, like you're not thinking. Oh, right, your like, brain is fuzzy. Yeah, your brain yeah. is fuzzy. Yeah. Clouded judgment. Mm-hmm. I like one. Do you guys know what fong fei gay means? Fong fei gay. Yeah. To fly the airplane. To fly the plane. <laughs> But it means when you stand up someone, when you flake out or... Oh. Yeah, my pronunciation. Sorry, everybody. Oh, no, no, no. I just, I was repeating it. Your pronunciation oh. is fine. I'm just trying to memorize it by saying it out loud. Yeah, it's like if someone doesn't show up, like, oh, Julia Fongfege means that you, oh. you flaked out. All right, you got any other idioms or fun? You got any idioms? Oh, man. Um, You know, you know what might be fun is, okay, on the count of three... Like, I don't know that many bad words, but uh, say your favorite bad word in Cantonese and I'll bleep it out. So the audience will have to guess what you say. <laughs> okay, I love that. I love that. All right. And go, go on for a while. Like, do your best insult. Okay. Like, go on for a while. Oh, All right. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That'll be fun. So the audience has no idea what we just said. So. <laughs> All right. Do you guys have a favorite Cantonese song, movie, TV show, or YouTube channel that you watch? Oh, man. There's so, so many. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot. But I love watching Cantonese with Brittany and Cook with Lao. Made yeah. With Lao. Made yeah. with Lao. Yeah. Made, Made with Lao. Lao. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's good, too. He just goes for it with the, the, the dad. Just goes for it with the Cantonese. He's not, you know, he's not holding me back. I love that show, too. Yeah, I love that show. Um, I'm I I grew up with a lot of like '80s, '70s types of music. Oh, okay. My parents really liked it. Um, so I love any anything from that era. Mm. Yeah, and to kind yeah. of piggyback off of that, Julia and I actually saw this movie called Anita Williamsall, which is kind of like mm. a documentary life-ish movie kind of of her life and it kind of shows her kind of like relationship with other people in the industry um with her sister and like mentors and whatnot um and i think for me growing up anita was someone i absolutely adored as a kid um as kind of from like the 80s pop culture scene as a singer um and it was also really great to see her friendship with um leslie charm um Uh in that film because for me i'm like the biggest Google fan. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, yeah. So I think, um, in terms of films, that's probably my favorite on like Cantonese movie, um, yeah. at least recent Cantonese movie. Yeah, I think Wong Kar Wai's "In the Mood for Love" destroyed. Oh, absolutely, me. yeah, that yeah. Movie messed me up. I I was emotionally devastated for weeks afterwards. I just thought, yeah. oh my god, like it just hits you somewhere really deep. Yeah, we did a whole episode on Tony Leung, and yeah, that that movie, um, Sabrina came on and did that one with me. But the visuals, the acting, just the quietness of it, you know, the the not speaking parts, those are amazing. Yeah, I love Wong Kar Wai. I love in the um in the mood for love, of course, but Chungking Express, love it. So yeah, then you know, I think it came out too early in a way because. You know, back then, late 90s, uh, mid 90s, late 90s, there wasn't streaming, you know. And so you literally had to go to Chinatown and get a VCD or, you know, go to one of those shops in the outer sunset and get a, get a VHS tape of these things. And so I think it was just hard to want, you know, hard to find them. They were popular, you know, and so a lot of these movies made it eventually onto some kind of streaming platform. But yeah, I think it was a little too early because now it's so easy to get streaming, you know, so easy to watch Korean movies or um, J-dramas or whatever. But now it's kind of, Kanto kind of faded. It, for for a while, Cantonese stuff was was it in, out of Asia. Cutting edge, you oh, know, yeah. the movies, the music. I mean, a lot of people forget that Kanto Pop was the first Asian pop to kind of really be mm. big. The superstars, you know, the Wong Fei, the Anitas, the, you know, the... The Andy Chung, all those people were huge, huge stars in the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, 
That was an error. All right. Any more, any more shows or movies you guys want to plug? I wanted to plug some artists, some current artists. Um, go yeah. check out Mirror, Burn Hall, Tyson Yoshi, <laughs> Gareth T, Mutang. Um, and there's so many great artists out there because I think something that a lot of people have been talking about lately, especially in the past few years, is um, they're saying like the Cantonese like pop culture scene is dead. I think that's extremely untrue. Um, there's definitely a new movement of people with my generation um, making their waves in Hong Kong, um, on the mainland and beyond. And I think it's really great to see because it's also like in their craft, especially in music, a lot of them, I think in the 80s, it's like a lot of like, kind of like, they're more like poetic, lyrical lyrics, but like today's music, um, it's more of like conversational which I really like because that's the stuff I understand because if you're, you know, if, even like Fong and Nita, like when she sings her songs, I'm like, okay, what exactly does this mean? So I like have to look it up. But if it's like artists from today, a lot of times I'm like, okay, I know exactly what they're singing about. It's a lot more relatable. And I think that could be why um, they've kind of made a comeback. I think um, because yeah. it's like people understand like actually understand um kind of mm -hmm. like the lyrics because they're more conversational you know i i think our ancestors didn't do us a favor either i i think they they intentionally made cantonese hard like they wanted to be elite right they wanted to be like oh we have more tones than mandarin you know ours is more complicated to speak cantonese you really have to to work at it it's not something that you could just pick up you know you really have to work at it and so I think that made it difficult for folks like for like me and if you're not a native speaker to speak it well is you need a lifetime. You know, you literally need a long, long time to get good at Cantonese. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not even close to being good at it, but it, it's, it's hard to sound good at it if you didn't grow up with it. And so it's kind of like they made it as sort of a way of me being a lead and excluding other people, I think. And it kind of is coming back to get us now where it's not that easy to learn. It's really a hard language. You know, default people go to Mandarin. It's only four tones. It's a little little easier to pronounce for Western speakers. And there's the pinyin, really a kind of established pinyin. Mm. So, yeah, unfortunately, our ancestors kind of did us dirty on that. I think in some ways they, um, like, whether it was elitist or not, the payoff is terrific, right? Because yeah, Cantonese yeah. is such a fun language to learn. It's silly, it's playful, it's musical. <laughs> and I think like it it ha it off and because of the tone, specifically because of its musicality, I think that makes it so much more unique, I think, and expressive than a lot of yeah. other languages. Like there are other languages you don't have tones and you know, meaning, nuance, the sort of like the emotion behind it is not as like loud as it is with mm -hmm. Cantonese. So there's yeah. it's an art. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, no, not, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, something to also note, like, um, Cantonese is kind of like the language of uh, a lot of Chinese dynasties. Um, and if you kind of, like, look back at even, like, Chinese literature, I'm a huge Chinese literature nerd. Um, I took it in college. Um, if you read the poems, the literature, it's better in Cantonese, and I'm pretty sure that's mm. how it was written. Um, back in the yeah. day um so something to kind of like think about it because it's also like with Cantonese comes the culture the heritage and everything with it right um and I think that's really important to um not forget do you guys want to speaking of difficult do you guys want to try some Cantonese tongue twisters sure yeah yeah let's do it all right all right so let me share my screen here I don't know how well this will play on the air we'll see <laughs> all right so Oh, I totally remember doing these on the playground as a kid. Okay. Teasing, tiju, tiu, tiju, si, tiju, tiju, ji. So it means um, the crazy spider's spider thread is stuck to the branch. <laughs> okay. Anybody want to take a stab? I can't do it. Teasing, tiju, tiu, tiju, si, tiju, tiju, ji. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. That's good. <laughs> All right, let's try the next one. Uh, next we have yap sat yok yap sek mat sat yim sat gum gun sub go gun gup jai. So entering the 
uh, food laboratory and holding 10 emergency buttons. All right, Kim, I see your lips moving. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Julia, you want to try? Okay. So, six months. Set Jim. Set gum. Gum gun sub go gun gum. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. That was hard. That was really hard. Was I hard. don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just going with the ping gum. All right. We'll end it with that one. Thanks for playing along. With those of you out there, can you do any of these tongue twisters? I'll put a link to this YouTube and you guys can follow it. At the end of each episode, we like to ask our guests to choose an infatuation. An infatuation is anyone in the Asian community that you admire, whether they're living or deceased, someone you know, or someone that you, inspires you from afar. So let's see. Uh, Jamie, do you have an infatuation? I do. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to probably have to hop off after yeah, sure, I sure. ask the question. But Denise Ho is my infatuation mm. because she is a Hong Kong, a Hong Konger, a canto pop singer. And um, she's, I think she's also Canadian, um, but she was one of the first famous people in Hong Kong to come out as queer. She's a lesbian and I'm queer mm. myself. And so to actually see another queer Cantonese person in mainstream Cantonese and Hong Kong culture come out and yeah. also, you know, be very vocal about her beliefs. And, um, you know, like I, she was blacklisted by the Chinese government for her support of the democracy movement. And she oh. was willing to sacrifice essentially her career for yeah. the things that she believes in. And so I just have such respect for that kind of activism. All right. Great choice. And thank you so much, Jamie. Yeah. And we'll, we'll bump into you one of these days. So I we'll talk so. to you soon. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Thank you. All right, great. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, so Julia, who is your infatuation or one of your infatuations? Oh, I have a long list, but I think someone who um, came to mind immediately was Anna Mae Wong. Uh-huh, yeah. Who's the first Asian-American to be on a U.S. coin. And she's also Kanto. Specifically, she's mm -hmm. Toy Song. She's yeah, Toy yeah. Song. Um, and so uh, she didn't accept any roles that stereotyped her in yeah. American Hollywood. And I think even just like standing up to administration, um, I think it's it's really hard as a, especially like growing up in a pretty traditional Chinese home, like being able to stand up for myself, like that's really scary. Yeah. And knowing that this actress back in the day also stood up for herself, mm -hmm. um, it's it's really inspiring. Yeah, when when is this 1920s? This is I want to say 1920. Uh, so her first roles were I mean definitely back in the day. Back um, in the day. Um, 1924 was yeah. when she played um in The Dragon Lady. Mhm. Mm but she got kind of sick of that. She was kind of like, "You know what? Can I play something other than The Dragon Lady, please?" You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she's very cool. Yeah, good choice. Uh, do you have one of the quarters yet? I got one in my pocket the other day. I was super excited. No. Can I see it? Can you put it close to the screen? Uh, it's on my Instagram. <laughs> Wait, oh, okay, okay. Well, I'll look that, it up on Instagram. No, they're very cool. No, you'll find one. It'll be like a treasure hunt. You know, one of these days, you'll just find one in your pocket. You're like, no way. Yeah, I need someone. I need to find where to get one. Yeah, you can't. I just got it by chance. I just found it, and I was like, oh no way. So yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, can you imagine 1920s? Even now, there's not that many Asian, you know, actresses that are really well known. But 1920s—that's like that's a hundred years ago. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, good choice. You want to put someone in? This is a plug for a homie. Um, his name is Brian Ho. He's on Boys Planet 999, the new audition trainee show. Um, so. Shout out to Brian because he's living out his K-pop dreams, and y'all can go support him. All right. Shout out, Brian. Come on the podcast, Brian. <laughs> we're here for you. When he comes home. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, we're working on some stuff, right, Kim? We got some people lined up. All right. So that does it for our episode on Save Cantonese. Thank you to my guests, Julia, Jamie, and of course, my co-host, Kimberly. Uh, thank you for all you're doing to help save the future of Cantonese language programs. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you so much. If you want to keep up with the Save Cantonese program, you can follow them at savecantonese.org. 
and follow them on Instagram at SaveCantonese underscore CCSF for City College or Save Cantonese for Stanford and beyond. And of course, you know how to follow us. You can follow us at The Infatuation Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And we love to receive emails, so you can email us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. So thanks, uh, thanks everyone out there for listening. We appreciate your support. If you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, please send them a link. You know, help us out. That's probably our best form of advertising, and we appreciate every referral that we can get. So make it easy for them. Send them the Spotify link or send them the Apple Podcast link. So on behalf of Jamie, Julia, Kimberly, and myself, we hope that you are all happy, healthy, and safe out there. We will talk to you again soon. Bye. Jo Tao. Bye. Good night. Joy Joe Tao. Joy Joy